Welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. I'm your host, John McGee. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, hey friends, welcome back. I'm joined in the studio today by our two teaching pastors, John Elmore, Timothy Atik. Guys, welcome. John and Matt, good to be with you. Good to see you, John. Okay, guys. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of pressure around this one here. If ever an episode was supposed to be clear and compelling, I feel like you two, like that's kind of your job. Like you have to do that. Thank you. We may that. we may vote afterward. I may do a little poll and that sounds so we can evaluate you. Mm, yes, <laughs> perfect. Glad you guys are here today. We're talking about communicating and both how to put together messages. We'll talk about that on this episode, and then hopefully uh, right after we're going to talk about our second episode on how to actually deliver a message. So I sit under your preaching uh, week after week after week. It's always really really incredible, really compelling. You both have very different styles, which I think is going to be really helpful to the audience. And I think I would just say this on the, at the top, and then we'll kind of kick it to you guys. Uh, we're not pushing a model on how to prepare for a message or how to deliver a message. You're actually probably going to hear two models uh, right here on the same episode. Uh, but I think it's always helpful to hear how other people do it. You take their model and you kind of you know break it down to the component parts and decide which one of those you want to replicate and which one of those are not not for you. And so I think that's what what will be helpful here. So guys, uh, we're going to talk about preparing a message and the hard work before you actually get to do the thing, you know, that most people will get to observe visibly. So let's just start with the very, very beginning. You get a topic. It is now in your inbox. It is now on your calendar. You are on the hook to deliver a message. Where do you start? Yeah, I'd say for for me, the place to start is there's certain things, honestly, that I have to put to death before I can really experience a fruitful prep. I mean, it is, it's a weekly deal where every time I'm having to preach, I need the Lord to, to purify my heart so I can even really hear from him. From Ben Stewart, he, he said half of preparation is mortification. Hmm. And, you know, for me, my tendency is to allow insecurity to bubble up in me, to look to the stage to answer questions like, am I significant? Am I liked? You know, am I funny? And all of those things can can lead you down a rabbit hole of prep of what's the best illustration, what's funny, what's super inspirational. And all of those things will distract you from hearing the voice of the Lord in prep. So for me, there has to come a moment early on in prep where there is death to self. Is that every single time now? You've been at this a long time. Is it? Yeah. Really? I think so. Well, I mean, some weeks are better than others, but I'm saying that there are there is still that natural tendency, and it might just be more subtle now, where it's like, you know, it, it might be as subtle as like what's what's interesting, or what will be super engaging, and I just have to stop and say, no, is that from the Lord or not, okay. or what would be a killer illustration? Yeah, for me personally, that's the wrong place to start because what I'm trying to do is I'm I'm not starting with whatever the Lord wants. Yeah. I'd still say it's a weekly process. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Some weeks are way more subtle than others, but absolutely it's yeah. a weekly process. That's good. John, anything to add to that? Dude, I'm just taking notes. Uh, <laughs> so good. I, so let me say this first. I, uh, there's a phrase, an adage, if you see a turtle on a fence post, yeah. you know he had some help. And so honestly, even sitting here at the table, you're like, what do you do? I'm like, how am I even here helping others to think about this. Like what I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic 
And uh, the fact that the Lord would even allow me to preach Christ in the scriptures is like crazy and all Jesus. So you ask, what do we do to prep? How do we begin? Yeah. So this yeah. is a, this is an important one for me. I think the first time I got asked to teach on a Sunday, man, I, I mean, I started two months in advance and went over it and over it and over it. And what I've learned now, it's like the Lord will give you what you need to give to others. And you don't have to fret and be anxious and over-engineer. It's an act of faith. And so what I've learned to do is block time. And so our shared uh, coordinator who helps us manages our schedule. I'm like, hey, you've got to block out Monday and Friday as much as you can on Thursday. Tuesday and meeting, Tuesday and Wednesday are going to be my meetings day. We'll collapse all of them there. But that gives me space to do a lot of what we're talking about with like praying and writing and studying. So knowing that it is, that's a big rock that's got to get in the jar. Like part of the prep is calendaring, making sure that there is adequate time to do it so that I'm not just like, like if somebody shows up to your house for dinner, and they ring the doorbell. You knew they were coming. You're like, go to the pantry. You're like, oh, okay, uh, let's see. I got some spaghetti noodles and maple syrup and peanut butter. <laughs> this is like an episode of Elf here. Yeah. <laughs> They'd be like, what are you, what, didn't you know I was coming? And so it's like that preparation okay. without over engineering and then allowing the Lord to, to move in that place and being expectant to not stress about it. I used to stress a ton, like, oh my goodness, is he going to give it to me? Now I just know he will, even if it's, later in the week. I love it. Okay. So a big part for you is just actually just blocking the time and just, you know, you're going to show up and you can do the work and yeah. you're going to listen and yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I would say that blocking the time and also in a sense, blocking my mind, like, Hey, I'm not going to stress and fret about this. Like okay. he is faithful. These, this is his flock. It's his word, his spirit. And he's just going to use me in a particular way. He'll give me what they need, what I need. Yeah. It's probably like an application of you know, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, if we're to go make disciples and we're supposed to teach them uh, to obey everything he commanded, uh, we can claim that promise that behold, he is with us, right? He is, he is with you. Uh, you're not, you're not crafting sermons on your own. Um, these are God's sheep ultimately, and you better believe he cares deeply about them. And so if we put our, you know, self in the position of, man, you know, speak to me yeah, we, on, on behalf yeah. uh, of, of my congregation, I'm asking you to give us the words that you want us to hear, then you can, you can kind of claim that and know that he's, he's not just sending you out and you're not, or you're, well, you're not out there alone and uh, God's with you. So a really, really good. Okay. Let's say you've got a text. Uh, right now we're teaching through first Peter. And so, you, you know, you've got a little chunk, a little pericope, a couple paragraphs. Now what, where do you go from there? What's, what are your first moves uh, when you're sitting down with the text, thinking about how to prepare a message? Yeah, so for me, one thing that I've I've honestly more recently started doing is I've broken down my prep process into two parts. One is teaching the text and one is preaching the text. Huh. So uh, teaching the text is I feel very strongly that every passage of Scripture has been put in there by God to make one main point. Like every text has been put there and God has a very, very specific reason it's there. So I'm not looking for my angle. I'm I'm trying to understand God's angle for yep. putting the text in there. And I just know myself and I look back on sermons I preached when I was younger and they were like the most creative sermons that I now laugh at that I'm like, I did not handle the word of God accurately there. <laughs> and so I want to faithfully handle the word of God. And yeah. so 
So what I do is I get on my computer and I take the passage and I break it out one verse at a time, break it down on my computer screen. And what I want to do is I want to work verse by verse, phrase by phrase, word by word. And if I were to step into a classroom to just teach the text, yep. my goal is to answer the question, what is the text saying? I want people to understand it. And so that's the first part of the process. And I spend a good amount of time going verse by verse. And this is where I will lean on trusted commentaries. I've got certain commentaries that I really trust that I will read through those. I will work through the text myself. And I want to make sure that before I ever try and preach the text, which is not just getting people to understand yep. it, but getting people to actually believe it and live it, I want to know that I've done my part to teach the text accurately. Yeah, that's good. So we all went to the same seminary. Uh, we won't name it, but one of our one of the outlines we were taught was then, always, now. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds like you're talking about the then, yeah, and the always. That's uh, right. It's, it's the very first you know thing you're trying to figure out before you talk about now. What what do we do? Which is a preaching part, which is really really helpful. I would want to know what commentaries do you guys use? What tools do you use? I know everything's. You know, books are personal. They are. Yeah. But what's, you know, what are your go-tos, both, you know, commentaries, websites, software, tools? And you just kind of top of mind, not not the exhaustive list, but just top of mind for, for you guys. Man, two things that I use a lot, more than anything, is one, the notes feature on my phone. So what I've found is that God will bring things to mind throughout. Like I'm driving, uh, putting the kids to bed, long after everyone's in bed just random times of things that come to my mind. So what I'll do is I'll, right now I'm teaching First Peter 5, uh, the conclusion of the letter, and I've got a running note where I'm just writing down thoughts, ideas, parallel passages throughout the rest of Scripture, maybe an illustration, some call to action or application point, maybe a song that I want to ping the worship team about. So that's been very helpful to me because I don't, I don't always have my laptop or a journal out or whatever. And so the note feature on my phone, the other one is Blue Letter Bible. They've got an app. And what I've found within that, there's you can search all the different English translations, or many of them at least. But what they have is an interlinear, which just means a side-by-side -side of the English along with the Greek or Hebrew that shows you kind of a words throughout parallel as you work through it. And then if you click on some of those words or phrases, it'll bring up the grammar Strong's accordance, like what the the word means, perhaps like the verb tense, and then it'll also give other places that that's used. It's free. And so having had five semesters of Greek and four of Hebrew in seminary, for those who like, man, I don't like, I, I didn't have that and I don't have the time to go through that probably or the resources, I would highly recommend Blue Letter Bible either as the website or the app that you can have with you because it's been a it's been a great resource to look at languages. They've even got some commentary linked, but it's it's a great tool. That's yeah, good. I, uh, it's so fascinating. The first thing you said was your notes notes feature on your phone. Yeah, I, profound, I, right? Yeah, Super well, profound. well, I know. Like, oh, so you record ideas? <laughs> wow. But I know, but knowing you, <laughs> which which not, not everyone has the... Uh, uh, has the privilege of uh, of knowing you, John. Just how your brain—you get these spurts and you get caught on something. And uh, you know, right now we're working on some things for our CLC, our church leaders conference. And you know, I'll get 
all types of energy at just really odd times during the day or night. You're thinking about You're something, you know, and which You've is ready which, for bed which I just I love. Yeah, my phone is just going crazy. It's like, and what about this? And what about this? And if you don't capture that, you have to re-remember it over and over and over again, and you're you're stuck going. I remember something I wanted to say, and it really I think in many respects, if you can get that out somewhere, whatever it is, the notes feature is the most basic, uh, you know, uncomplicated uh, way to do so. You know, everyone's got a more sophisticated uh, system than that, but it works. Then now your your brain and your heart is ready to receive something else, just to think about something else. And you don't have to keep keep that in the forefront, re-remembering. And it, well, that seems like a really simple tip, but I bet you that really does allow your your brain to keep keep running, have more um, you know more hard drive space uh, to get something. Yeah, I find whenever I've got a message coming up, it's just always running in the fore yeah. or background of my mind, and so that helps me to get it. I love it. I love it. TA, go to tools, resources. Yes, I've got uh, Logos Bible software, uh, which I use every week. And then honestly, for me, when anytime I'm teaching a series, which we're usually teaching through a book, I will go to bestcommentaries.com. It's a real website. Yeah, yeah. It's a reputable website where they have taken every commentary on every book of the Bible and they've rated them and ranked them. And I will usually look at what are the top three to five commentaries for each book and I will go and purchase those and I will over the course of time I'll I'll usually find my favorite but uh, for me I really enjoy having at least one or two commentaries that are more technical in nature more academic and then one that's more pastoral so you know anything that D.A. Carson writes anything that Tom Schreiner writes I usually eat it up yeah you know uh in terms of series like pillar the pillar new testament really a commentary set's really good baker's exegetical commentary series is very good there's others in there but in terms of pastoral commentaries you know chuck swindoll has a has a series of commentaries that are really just his sermons put into commentaries i think that charles swindoll's the one of the greatest expositors over the last century. And so it's just neat to see how he breaks down the text. D. Edmund Hebert has really, really great, rich commentary. So I like to read what other people are writing and to look at more academic works that'll just help me mine the text for some really helpful truth. I love it. Okay. Yes. Bestcommentaries.com, I think is a site. Yeah, bestcommentaries.com. I think in seminary I had to buy a paper version of that and and that kind of made my my purchasing decisions based on that so it's all free now and uh, it's good to hear kind of why they rate certain commentaries the way they do and and over time you know if you are going to teach if you were a carpenter you would buy you know you would buy tools as you went along so you would have a a really robust you know set of tools and these are your tools if this is your primary job as a communicator or this is something that you want to grow grow in and you don't need to go out and drop thousands and thousands of dollars today. But over time, if you do pick up uh, some tools, you can have a pretty robust, you know, uh, library uh, and some really, really great tools uh, over time. So play the long game. Uh, Don't be afraid to buy it. Work that into your budgets. That's a whole other conversation, but really good. Okay. So you're doing some of this. If we, I don't even know if you use that outline, you know, guys, then always now, but uh, you've done some of the work. You've, you've kind of started with some of the commentaries. You understand you know, what the author's intent was. You understand kind of God's, uh, potentially God's purpose for putting that in the scriptures. And now you're going to have to go 
start putting that into you know some type of form that people are going to be able to understand and also be moved by. Talk us through that. What are your, what are your steps there? So for the outline preparation, I'll I literally start with a blank word document and the model that we were taught in seminary was INSTP is the way I remember it. So image, need, subject, text, preview. And then we'll go through points and subpoints and a conclusion that ties back to the opening image. And I've I've found that to be helpful. I've also been told, you know, hey, you've got to know the rules before you break the rules. Frankly, I'd say there are no rules. I don't think the Apostle Paul had like some model that we're now following. I think a lot of it is um, truth through personality is what I've heard someone say. And so that's that's a way. It's certainly not the way, but it'll give me kind of an opening framework. And then I'm thinking about when I get to the points, the points of the text, I'm thinking about, uh, it's, a, it's a flip, but tell and show instead of show and tell. So, or you could reverse it, but it's like, okay, this is, this is what it's saying and this is what it's like, or this is how it could be in, in your life to contextualize that. Okay. So you just, you open up a blank document, fill out that outline, or you put the, put the headings on that outline and then it's your job then to start filling all that. Yeah. That which so, probably sounds really dumb. I'm sure there's no. a better way to format it. Uh, but I find that if I just try to work off of a document, man, it's like the formatting is horrible. Somebody email me and send me a, a workable format. So yeah, I start from scratch every time. Okay. But it but it helps me, I think, because it's like I'm not then in this formulaic have to whatever. It's like last week when I taught not last, before TA's last message. Uh, I, I think I did like a kind of a commentary walkthrough of the passage and then camped on the last verse. Yeah. And so, I don't know, sometimes it depends on the week. Yeah, that was a tough, it was an interesting passage anyway uh, to try to uh, to try to explain. And uh, I like the way you took some creativity uh, towards it. So I want to come back in a minute and talk about just how do you interject some of the, how do you think about illustrations? How do you think about creative elements? But but TA, when you go, you've, you've done the then always, now you're thinking about now. How do you how do you approach that? I use a different outline. So mine was introduction, transition, truth and explanation, application, conclusion. So those are kind of the the buckets that I'm trying to fill. And because I've already walked through teaching the text, like bulk of the content, I would say sixty percent of the content is already there in my document. And now I've worked through the text fairly thoroughly that now what I'm looking for is how does the passage break down in terms of teaching points? So do verses one and two go together or three through five go together versus six and seven go together? So I'm looking through what are the natural, what's the natural breakdown of the passage? And when I can identify that there's three to five natural breaks, Mm -hmm. now I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, then how am I going to label that that section? So that's where I'm trying to come up with my points. And when I think about points, I'm really trying to think through, um, is there is there a way for me to have a common repeated phrase in my points that's just going to allow it to stick a little bit more? Uh, so, you know, for me, this past Sunday, it was like the reality of an elder, the role of an elder. I'm not a big alliteration guy, like I, and I don't know if I just kind of don't want to lean into alliteration because it, <laughs> I don't know. 
But sometimes it it works, and I I do think that there is something to the repetition that just allows yeah. the points to stick more. But that's how I'm thinking through it. I'm looking for the natural breaks, and then I'm looking for how am I going to label that section as a point that will be as helpful as possible. Yeah, well, I thought that was a great outline, by the way. I, I texted you. I just thought I didn't text you about the message. I actually texted yeah. you about your outline. Yeah. You know, the message was fine, too, I think, <laughs> as well. But I just thought, wow, like I that would have taken me forever just to come up with the outline. And because you had a great outline, uh, and, you know, in effect, it, it kind of preached itself. You were just answering these questions that yep. were coming out um, there or the headlines there, which I, I thought was really great. And so I guess this goes without saying, we're, we're in the middle of it. We are talking about teaching through portions of scripture. We're not talking about topical today yeah. Uh, because that's just kind of right now where we are in the season of our church. We're just teaching through books of the Bible, passages by passages. There's, and we're not even advocating for that. What that does make you do is cover all the hard passages. And so yesterday you had to stand up, uh, you're not an elder, TA, and talk about eldering. Yeah. And, and we just weren't going to skip that. And so we may or may not talk about that. You may only talk about that if you you know, uh, selected elders or something like that. And, but that's where we were in the text and now our body was, uh, was instructed on it. So I think it's great. We're not arguing that point, but everything that you guys talk about sermon prep today, we're talking about preaching kind of exegetical. So let's, let's talk about, you know, some of those illustrations, some of the, it's your personal stuff. It's the, it's the creative, uh, moments, you know, John, you, you know, I feel like you always have some amazing prop and whatever you use, you've got about four other ideas that you said no to, you know, you'll throw, what about this and this and this? And, um, and then you kind of, you hone in on, on one or two, but a lot of times you have, you know, very physical things that you can grab or you do something, you know, uh, very artistically and, and creative and, you know, TA, you share a lot of just kind of personal stories. Um, or stories from you know uh, church history or something like that. So how, how do you guys think about that? How do you think about just injecting some of those elements, uh, letting them be helpful, not not relying too much on them or making too much of them, not making the sermon about that thing? How, how do you think about that? I think about it by not reverse engineering it. So don't don't start with the uh, you know some fan anecdotal story or whatever that you want to go with, and then backwards find a verse to go with it. So it's like you're. Similarly, like creating an exegetical outline, like this is what the text says, then making it ingestible and memorable and that you've got an application from it. And then I'm thinking like, so what is this like? And I've heard people like trash before illustration and story and use of sermon. And I look at the scripture and I'm like, well, Jesus seemed to Mm -hmm. think it was a pretty good idea. Mm -hmm. Like when I say uh, prodigal son, which is not even the name of anything but you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or if I say sparrow, you're like, oh, God cares. He sees all. So there's there's ways, or, or roaring lion, uh, as Peter did, or and Paul uses in Ephesians when he talks about like, hey, the flock of God. So he's talking about him as sheep, the, the body of Christ of which he is the head. There's all this like story and analogy and imagery and illustration. So I think it's because God, as the one who wrote the scriptures, knows the human mind. I mean, even just the narratives of scripture, like he's a storyteller and he created beauty and imagery. He knows how our minds work, that we're visual in nature and auditory and all those things. So uh, all of that is just why I think it's valid and valuable and helpful. And then I'm just thinking truly, like, as I think about it, 
and I'm reading something. So like with Roaring Lion right now, we're in First Peter 5, and it says, you know, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like, not that he is, but like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so what I'm thinking, I'm looking for like, okay, generally, what is that? And what, I, what that is, is there's a threat. It's creating a feeling of fear by the roaring, like not even the devouring, but just the roaring. It incites fear. And so then I think, so when is a time like that, and I've thought about early church martyrs who just resisted in the face, because in the context, this is funny, folk theology, everyone thinks like, ah, oh, beware, you know, hey, this weekend when your wife goes out of town, remember Roaring Lion. It's not about temptation. That's like a different passage that mm-hmm. when we talk about mm-hmm. Satan being the tempter, here it's suffering. Like he is inflicting suffering. Like think Job, like he's just coming after people. So I'm trying to think like, okay, so when is a time that fear is incited? When is a time someone has suffered greatly for the faith? I'm thinking this is like, and it might be a story of a martyr. It might be a time when I was walking in uh, downtown Czech Republic, Prague, and was terrified. Like I'm going to get jumped and mugged. And so I was on high alert. I'm like looking everywhere. I'm not pulling out my phone and staring at it. I'm making sure like that I, cause it says be sober and watchful. So I don't know that I'm going to use that, but, I, but that's, that's how my mind starts thinking so that I can draw that connection and really like begin them to start thinking, Hey, this is why we're sober and watchful. Cause he's seeking to devour you through suffering and you've got to stand firm and resist him. And so what does that look like? And what would that be like? And so many times, man, people are not like, hey, remember those three points? And they can rattle off the three points, but they will say, hey, you remember that time when you handed out the washer to remind us of the importance of the empty tomb? It's not just the cross, it's the empty tomb. That's what I think can be sticky. Yeah, I love it. it. So, okay. So I think then if I was going to distill that down, you say you start with the text and really understand what it is that he's trying to say and then let your illustrations come out of that. That it's, a, it's an as-like uh, or a way to remember that not. <laughs> I heard something amazing and now I'm going to go flip through uh, scripture to find find a verse that would uh, let, allow me to tell that story. Yeah, yeah, and, totally. Uh, which is the, yeah. That's a good youth pastor trick. T.A., I'm sure you did that back in the day uh, there. Something, something amazing happened. Um, anything else, T.A., for you? Uh, how you think about what else to include, what else to use? And when you think about enhancing a message or yeah. making it stick, how do you think about that? Yeah, I would just say I feel like I've been on a, a journey with sermon illustrations for years now. Like I've had seasons where I've had a big reveal in every talk, and then I've had other seasons where like, you know, my opening illustration is like 10 to 12 minutes long and it's over time I've just had to figure out like, hey, what is going to be most helpful for me as I communicate yeah. to people? So for me, when I think about illustrations, the the purposes for me behind illustrations is one, at the beginning of the talk, it's just to, it's to grip the heart, it's to, it's to cultivate the need, it's to put a, a picture in people's mind that's going to cause them to say, this is why I need this message. Yeah. You have to be very careful. If you have a seven-minute story that really only has a 10-second application to it, it's it's a waste of time. And then when I'm, when I'm thinking about illustrations in the body of the message, I'm trying to accomplish a few things. One, I'm trying to put an exclamation point on my points. Number two, I'm trying to come up for air, especially when we're in deep text. It's good. It's good. Sometimes when there's just a brief moment of laughter, it's kind of hitting the release valve, coming up for air, and then you can take people back down deep. 
I'm trying to paint a picture for people and I'm trying to cultivate urgency. And one of the things more recently, I'm trying to use like anecdotal illustrations sparingly and use more like real life illustrations because what I feel like I've observed is when you give people a real story of someone who is doing exactly what you're teaching, it it creates the most compelling reason to actually go out and live it. That's good. So is that in in contrast with a, a, a movie that you watched? Is that what you're saying? Like this is actually a real life person who lived this out. It may have cost them or... Uh, they grew, they learned, they trusted God. You can be like them. Is that what, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, so here's what I'm saying. I still remember I was watching, I was listening to this guy's sermon. It was not John Elmore's. I was in a different play, different town, listening to a different message. In the message, the truth was so good. But every single one of his illustrations was an analogy. It was some type of symbol. It was some, it was an illustration and it was a picture of something trying to make a correlation or connection yeah. instead of a real life example. So it felt like he was building us to a point and then he hit a plateau instead of like taking us, like putting an exclamation point of like, hey, tell me a real life story of someone who is doing exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Because when you hear somebody, when you hear stories of life change, you want your life to change. That's right. That's right. That's right. It gives them an example. John, what do you think? Well, I'm, I'm thinking he does exactly that. He's talked about your marriage, you know, from the stage. And I think something that could be helpful as we are trying to be vulnerable from the stage with our lives, a phrase is leaders go first or others may never. And so it's not, it can be like, um, the wolf family that we featured a couple of weeks ago, where it's like, hey, these these people with infertility and brain cancer and a little brother who died and uh, persevering and suffering, but also, so those are the wins, those are the highs, like, hey, they they persevered in suffering. And then also I've heard T.A. be vulnerable as he talks about life and marriage and parenting and Laura and I walking through uh, mm-hmm. breast cancer or me being sharp and harsh with my kids in speech or... Laura suffering from OCD. Like there's there's that tied in to your point about real story that I think really disarms people and allows them to exhale and be like, okay, then if if that person mic'd up and this is going to live on the internet forever, then I guess this is a safe place for me to share about what I'm going through way beyond the sermon actually into the shepherding. Yeah, yeah. it's really so good. Thank you for saying that yeah. and for modeling it. It's really good. Yeah, it's... It, it can add. It could also make it. Uh, illustrations can also make it some kind of three ring circus up there, and it, you know you're not even sure what what it was we were talking about. But the guy was juggling, you know, fire batons, and you know there was you know, all these different things, and you can't even remember. You know, you drive your kids home from uh, church, and they have no idea what you're talking about. But there was this three or four really really interesting things, and yeah. so you don't want that to be the case. You want right. the, the point to be the thing that's remembered. Just while we're here, TA, talk about how you opened your message this week. So this week I was talking about uh, leaders. Uh, Peter calls leaders to do what they're supposed to be doing. So I started out the message. We rolled the sermon bumper. The lights came up, and no one was on the stage. And I was backstage, and uh, I just 
sat there for about 20 seconds until I could sense that, is that the room Is that was, all it was? Was just 20? Yeah, I mean, it, it probably felt forever. I would have you know, thought almost seconds, two minutes. Yeah. Seconds become very long when okay. it feels like you're watching a train wreck. Yeah. So maybe it was longer, 20, 30 seconds, and then from behind the stage I just said, isn't it awkward when somebody doesn't do what they're supposed to be doing? And it's so good. So. Yeah, which is very different than just saying, "Hey, today we're you know going to talk about elders, and uh, you need to listen to this." Yeah. You know, it was, yeah. it was it was a way. It wasn't it wasn't gimmicky. It didn't it wasn't weird. The whole sermon didn't then become you know again some kind of circus act. Yeah. Uh, it was like the, this is why that you know we all have a sense of why this matters. Yeah. Right. This was just a small, small glimpse. Let me paint a bigger picture. And I, I thought I thought it was great. So Thanks. other thoughts, there's there's young leaders that are here and they're thinking about I want to grow on my craft. Uh, I want to grow on my ability to kind of serve uh, other people in communication. We're talking about specifically the, the preparation side. Any any other things that you think they should know, anything they, they should do, any uh, mindsets they should have? Yeah. One of the things that I try and be really conscious about is speaking to different types of people in the room. So on one hand, I want to speak to different personalities. I did this personality inventory a long time ago, which in from that, what the data showed is that, you know, you got a large percent of the people in the room are feelings-based. And then a large percent of the room is values-driven. So Hmm. the people who are values-driven don't give a rip about the illustrations. They're like, don't waste my time. I just want you to tell me what you want me to know so that I can go do it. The feelings people are like, you're not connecting with me. And so for me, I try and balance those two tensions. So, you know, for me, I am a feeler. So I'm going to try and connect with the heart through through storytelling. But for the values people in the room, I want to use phrases like, don't miss this. Like, hey, all eyes on me. If I'm speaking to a younger audience or, hey, if there's one thing you hear today. Because what that's doing is that's engaging the values person. Like, oh, now you're finally telling me what's actually important. So I want to think about personalities. And then I want to think about people all along the spiritual spectrum. So I want to speak to the unbeliever, but I also want to speak to the seminary student in the room. So for the seminary student, what I will do is I will say, I will say, you know what, D.A. Carson's commentary, best commentary on John, and it's been really helpful. For them, they're like, (laughs) they've already ordered it. Like they are not dropping eye contact with me and they've gotten on Amazon and already ordered it. And then for the unbeliever, like I want to be very clear, hey, if if you're new to the Bible, Hey, if you are new to church, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, at some point in the message, I want to speak directly to them. And then something that I've started doing more recently, especially when I'm talking about more heady topics, is I will say, hey, for some of y'all who geek out on theology, like you want to wander down the theological rabbit hole, like that's really important to you, like you're going to be all in on this. Well, no one wants to be the person who's not into theology. So in the Netflix, I'm not into theology. Yeah. yeah so, so when yeah, you say yeah. that, you engage yeah. the whole crowd because everyone's it. like, I guess, I guess that's going to be me today, yeah. you know. And so I'm just trying to think about different personalities and trying to engage people in very subtle ways. That's so good. That's so good. John, anything else top of mind? Uh, just for those who want to get better at this, I think uh, in a similar way, I'll. Like for the intellectual and contemplative, try to bring in things like that. Talk about like the grammar or structure. 
of it talk Greek or Hebrew because I think people that are more mature believers, they've been around the faith longer, like they're interested in that, and then try to get, I'll talk about my alcoholism often, if not almost every message. And I've had people say like, that, why do you always say that? And I'm like, I'm not saying it for you. I'm saying it for the first time guest who's never been here uh, to get on their level. Mm. And then the other thing that I would say is when I first started teaching and preaching, dude, it was it was uh, exhaustive. I had a chaplain bill from DTS. Well, now I've disclosed my education, <laughs> but he would say, "Hey, don't dump up, don't dump the the whole truck on them." But I would, I would, I would go, "Okay, we're talking about sin today. I'm going to go systematic theology, homardiology. We're going to start." in the garden with the fall, go all the way to Revelation and talk in between. It was exhausting for them, really interesting to me, but exhausting for them. And so what I found is less is more. So my outlines used to be, and by used to be, I mean like last year, be three pages. This year they've they've been gone to two pages, which was still the same time frame as I taught. I don't know how that's even possible. Now the last two have been one page. And what I'm trying to do is be like, all right, I've got this in my head. Now it needs to get down into my heart. Like I've got the the ideas, the thoughts, what the passage is about. Now I need to sit in it and prepare to really preach it. Um, similar to what Tia was saying about the difference between teaching and preaching. So I'm, I'm finding that for me at least, less is more. I think TA manuscripts, so we're different there as far as like the model. But for those who are out there, there's two different approaches that I think are yeah. Helpful yeah. to different people. I'm like seven pages. I'm like, what is it like to have a sheet of paper? I'm like, that's incredible. Seven pages would take me seven hours yeah. to teach it. That's right. So yeah, TA, TA teaches with a, with an iPad and you scroll a lot. You're yeah. always, in, which, oh, yeah. but it's so seamless. I couldn't do that. I would I would freeze as I scrolled up, but you can keep talking. It's really, really, really fun to watch. So, uh, well, guys here, listen, I think we could talk a couple hours uh, on this candidly. Yeah. And I think if anything, you've modeled... Uh, Two things. One, uh, you take uh, your opportunity very, very seriously. So I know you both, and it's it's not it's not a game. It's not um, you know some clever little talk you're trying to put together. Like when you guys prepare, um, you you do so with uh, with a deep sense of the, the gravity of the moment and um, and uh, an understanding of what's at stake. And so which I uh, and you take it very, very seriously. So I, I think that uh, that's noteworthy to everybody that's listening. And two, both of you have talked about. Uh, how you're growing and changing as a communicator over time uh, yeah. in this. So both of you have, uh, and I, that probably wasn't even you know intentional, but I think every communicator is going to get better as they just continue to practice their craft. If you will be astute, if you will listen, if you will get feedback, if you will uh, continue uh, to study. And then, you know, I would just say, find other people that you can learn from, not to mimic, do not mimic them. We'll probably talk about this in the next episode, but uh, find people that, you respect. So TA, you mentioned uh, Chuck Swindoll, you know, go back and, and read Spurgeon and see how he put together mm-hmm. uh, an outline and where, where he spent uh, some of his time and, and energy and even his, his process. Uh, learn from others, ask other pastors, uh, but fulfill your ministry. Yeah. God, you two are so different. Oh my goodness. Uh, you both serve our body very, very well. You prepare differently, you deliver differently and our body uh, benefits. So uh, lean into your gifts, your wirings, and continue uh, just to get better. TA, you, you got your hand up, brother. Tell me tell me what you're Yeah, doing. I just want to make sure that we don't do a whole podcast on preparing a message without just explicitly stating, pray yourself prepared. Good. Okay, pray yourself prepared. Like you don't want to show up to Sunday morning without having labored in prayer 
to hear from God. We talked about that earlier in the episode, that you want to hear from God. You want to sit with God. You want to hear from him. But but beg God to move. Let prayer be a major part of your process. I love I've it. got to say this, and you got to deal with it. Go. Uh, I, I like, when I landed in this role, I was like, God, I never want to give good messages. I want to give spirit-led messages. Good messages don't change people. Only your spirit can. So you got to lead me as I lead them. That's it. To that end. That's it's it. It's like critical. Otherwise, it's just, it's all in vain. Like it's a fl- act of the flesh and you're just out for followers. I don't know what. Like, yeah. but I love it. Dia, you tell a story sometimes about you've, you're going to prepare or you're going to deliver a message and you're like, I literally have nothing else to pray about. Like, yeah. I think I have prayed about everything repeatedly. I can go through it again. Yeah. But I feel like I'm uh, prayed up, I prayed up uh, here. And that's a good place to be. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a great place. Uh, to end this uh, this episode. Thank you, brothers. Friends, thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, you can always reach us at clp at watermark.org. That's clp at watermark.org. We'll talk to you again next time. 